European Heart Journal Case Reports podcast. I am Tom Slater, podcast editor. Today, I will be discussing a case report by John Lee, Satish Ramkumar, Phil Ha, AJ Rakunath, and Benjamin Dundon from the Monash Cardiovascular Research Centre, Melbourne, Australia, entitled Pyopericarditis from a Gastropericardial Fistula, a case report. Pyopericarditis denotes the presence of pus and air in the pericardium with associated inflammation of the fibrous pericardial sac. It occurs from microbial seeding into the sterile pericardial sac, either from hematogenous spread, contiguous spread of infection in nearby anatomical structures, or from a fistulous communication with the tracheobronchial tree or aerodigestive tract. A 49-year-old man presented with a one-day history of sharp central pleuritic chest pain and bilateral sharp scapular pain associated with fevers, vomiting and diaphoresis. The pain was improved by leaning forward and worse when lying flat. Examination revealed normal heart rate and blood pressure with a mild pyrexia and mildly reduced oxygen saturations. A unique continuous murmur was audible throughout the precordium, associated with the pericardial rub and succussion splash, which the authors have dubbed the Lee-Ramkumar-Dundon murmur. The patient's past medical history was significant for obesity, with a previous uncomplicated Roux-en-Y gastric bypass surgery performed in 2013, psoriatic arthritis, type 2 diabetes mellitus and hypercholesterolemia. He was a non-smoker with no history of ischemic heart disease or malignancy. Admission electrocardiogram demonstrated widespread PR interval depression with PR interval elevation in AVR, 1mm of horizontal ST segment elevation in leads 1, 2, AVL and V6 and isolated T-wave inversion in lead 3. Blood tests revealed a significantly raised white cell count and C-reactive protein, although blood cultures were negative. A single troponin I performed 9 hours after onset of chest pain was within normal range. Chest x-ray demonstrated a heterogeneous gas lucency surrounding the cardiac silhouette. CT of the chest and upper abdomen demonstrated a large volume pneumopericardium with air fluid levels and gas locules associated with a direct communicative tract with gastrojejunostomy. Pericardiosynthesis was performed and purulent pericardial fluid was drained. Cultures from this fluid grew methicillin-sensitive Staphylococcus aureus, Streptococcus salivarius, Streptococcus parasanguinis, Escherichia E. coli, and Candida albicans. A transthoracic echocardiogram performed postoperatively demonstrated normal left ventricular size and a normal left ventricular ejection fraction of 60%. There was echogenic material in the pericardial space associated with ventricular interdependence and annulus reversus. The patient was taken urgently to the operating theatre where a chronic ulcer perforation involving the diaphragm and pericardium was demonstrated. This was repaired with a mental patch. The small pleural and pericardial effusions were drained by left thoracotomy. An mental repair drain and an underwater joint pleural and pericardial drain were placed. Postoperatively, the patient was commenced on culture-guided intravenous keftriaxone, clindamycin and fluconazole, as per the infectious diseases team. After one week of bowel rest with parenteral nutrition to allow adequate healing of the gastrojejunostomy repair site, a gastrographic follow-through study was performed, demonstrating no contrast extravasation. Subsequently, the immental drain tube was removed and the patient's diet was slowly upgraded to a puree diet on post-op day 14. The patient's post-operative course was complicated by persistent purulent output from the joint pleural and pericardial drain 
as well as reaccumulation of a loculated left-sided pleural effusion. This was managed with a repeat pericardial washout and intercostal catheter insertion on post-ops days 31 and 44 respectively. The patient was discharged home after a seven-week hospital admission with two further weeks of oral amoxicillin clavulanic acid and with pantoprazole 40 mg daily for ulcer prophylaxis. The patient attended a two-month follow-up with the upper gastrointestinal surgeons and was clinically stable with no recurrent chest pain or infective symptoms. A repeat CT chest, abdomen and pelvis performed 10 months post-admission demonstrated no intra-abdominal collection and a small volume pericardial fluid which had reduced in size since the patient's admission. I would now like to discuss the content and background of this case in more detail. Just 42 cases of pyopericarditis have been published in medical literature to date. Of these, perforated gastric ulcer is the most common etiology, followed by unidentified causes, iatrogenic fistula, malignancy, contiguous organ infection, non-iatrogenic fistulae, and trauma. Patients generally present with pericarditic chest pain, dyspnea, fever, and tachycardia. There are no examination signs specific to pyopericarditis. If the pneumopericardium component is significant, there may be a loud, churning millwheel murmur, also known by its eponymous name, Bruit de Moulin, or an audible mediastinal crunching, rasping sound synchronous with the heartbeat, which is known as Hammond's sign. The murmur that was found on examination of the patient in this case report has not previously been described, and audio recordings are available in the supplemental files for the case report online. Echocardiography is the investigation of choice for assessment of the pericardial space. It allows quantification of the effusion size, characterization of simple or complex effusions, demonstration of tamponade physiology, and assistance with pericardiosynthesis. However, significant locules of air within the pericardial space may impede adequate image acquisition. Long-term echocardiography is also important to monitor for signs of constrictive pericarditis. Adjunctive investigations include ECGs and chest X-rays. However, computed tomography of the chest provides the greatest anatomical detail, demonstrated loculated or septated effusions, fistulous communications, foreign bodies and features suggestive of malignancy, and therefore may be a key investigation in establishing the etiology of a pyopericardium. There are no prospective clinical trials regarding optimal management, and therefore current approaches are extrapolated from literature regarding purulent pericarditis. These focus on source control with pericardial drainage, initial empirical broad-spectrum and subsequent culture-guided antimicrobial therapy, and repair of any underlying anatomical defects. Without treatment, mortality approaches 100%. Prevention of transient and chronic constrictive pericardial disease with colchicine may be an important adjunctive therapy, as the risk of constrictive physiology post-purulent pericarditis is substantially higher than viral or idiopathic causes of pericarditis, quantified as 20-30% to for purulent pericarditis, compared to less than 1% for viral or idiopathic pericarditis. Case reports described in the literature have documented the management of several potential complications related to pyopericarditis. Heart failure has been managed with pericardial drainage, intravenous diuresis and fluid restriction. Cases of tamponade and tension pyopericardium have mandated urgent decompressive pericardiosynthesis and constrictive pericarditis has been managed successfully with pericardiectomy. Long-term clinical outcomes and incidences of potential complications related to the underlying etiology in this case, such as chronic infection, nutritional deficiency, chronic pain 
or gastroesophageal dysmotility are not known given the paucity of data in the medical literature. I would like to conclude this podcast with the following learning points suggested by the authors. Gastropericardial fistula are a rare complication of gastrointestinal surgery and can cause pyonuria pericardium. Management mandates urgent source control with pericardial drainage, intravenous antibiotics and repair of any underlying anatomical defects. And finally, there is a paucity of prospective studies in the management of pyonuria pericarditis and further investigations is required. Thank you to the authors of this case report for highlighting this fascinating case for us. And thank you for listening to European Heart Journal Case Reports podcasts. References in the original case report are available online. Visit academic.oup.com forward slash EHJCR for other interesting case reports. Music is Computer by State Shirt.